I had a fry every day this summer, working on building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there, the food and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. You are very welcome back. It was a weekend of derbies here in Ireland, in Scotland and in England. And the Glasgow derby was won very comprehensively by Celtic against Rangers. A 4-0 victory. Very impressive indeed. We'll be talking to Tom English about it a bit later on in the programme. But Pat and Evan, you were at Parkhead as well. Uh, I certainly was. And I was seriously entertained while I was there. Um, before the game, it was difficult, you know, because you know, Rangers had uh, certainly improved over the last year. They got to that Europa League final in uh, Seville, which I was at that game as well. So they'd beat a lot of teams. They'd also got through to the Champions League group stage by beating PSV Eindhoven. So the gap between them and Celtic seemed to have uh, closed. It seemed to have closed <laughs> until the game started. Uh, and Celtic were extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And uh, I tend not to get too carried away with Scottish football in the Scottish Premier League too often. Um, but I have to say... Celtic were an amazing. They are an amazing team to watch. And they have been for since the day Ange Postecoglou basically came into the club. Uh, but in this game, it's it was a joy to be there, and that's with their best player going off injured after two or three minutes. Um, but they were still they play a type of football that I can't remember anyone playing it to that level before. This speed of closing down, but not just closing down. It's the a, a few people have talked about it. I'm sure Tom will talk about it later. Every time they get a free kick or a throw in, do you know you, you take free kicks or throw ins quickly? That, that's one of the tactics you do, right? Not them. It's lightning. It's like two seconds, and everyone else, the, the opposition, are looking around, complaining. They've gone. They're away. They've scored, and they do it, and they keep on doing it, and they keep on. And it's easy to do that, but to do that with with the speed but with a skill as well honestly it was it was brilliant to watch Celtic and they went 4-0 it could have been more against Rangers who are not a bad side but Celtic are a bit special at the moment yeah no, they're in fantastic form going into the Champions League alright it's a very difficult game against Real Madrid this week that they have but everyone kind of looked at the 9-0 the week before and went look that's beating a team who are already beaten Docket when you've put a few goals mm-hmm. past them in the first half but as you mentioned this Rangers team are no mugs last year they were very good particularly away from home in the run in the Europa League um, they got a little bit of luck against PSV when they had a bit of closing down and it was a golden opportunity that was handed to them but still under Van Bronckhurst they've been very good at going away from home and being difficult to beat and Celtic just brushed them aside. Uh, which, I have to say, I was surprised. I think Celtic were still favourites going into it. Um, they had a very good team last season. They had decent depth last season. They've added brilliantly this season as well. Even the players that they let go, you know, they were good players like Nier Beaton, and, uh, but they couldn't play that, that specific style, as the Celtic fans call it, Ange Ball, uh, Coglu. He just asked them to do this incredible thing at this incredible pace with... You know, a, cr- a brilliant team spirit. And I mean, I was walking out talking to quite a few uh, Celtic people on the way out of uh, the game in at half time. And one former Celtic player said to me, That's the best I've seen since the Lisbon Lions. And I'm going, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Steady on there. <laughs> it's pushing it a bit. I've watched so many great Celtic teams over the years. You know, the, the team that had Doug Leash and Danny McGrain and David Hay, and they, they were amazing. Um, and a lot of decent teams since then. But the excitement around it is spectacular. But as you ri- rightly say, you know, you find out when you get to the Champions League group stages and it's a hell of a hard group that they're, they're in. And and we'll find out. I'm not saying they're going to win that group or even get out, but they're not going to be a walkover. 
they're going to be a very tough team to play against. Um, but it, it really is is very very exciting to watch them. And, and being at Celtic Park for you know for any Celtic Rangers game, it's always an, an amazing atmosphere. Or European nights are always incredible. And I'm I'm old enough, and I, I can tell both you, Will and Dan. I know you're not as old as me, right? But I was there in 1980 when Celtic played Real Madrid. Then Laurie Cunningham was playing for Real Madrid, and Celtic done them at Celtic Park. Now I think it was 3-2 they could beat overall in the tie, but they're massively competitive against a world-class side, and they're, they're going that direction again now. I don't know if they're there yet, but I, I, I can't wait. I really can't wait to see how they do in this game against Real Madrid and Tuesday night is going to be extraordinary yeah I think what's interesting for me Pat is that like you mentioned Ange Ball or how it's described by the the sort of the, the regulars there like do you think it's possible they can translate that 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 will be their approach in the Real Madrid game because some of the European nights I've been at Celtic like when Neil Lennon was in charge and stuff and it was it was about being more patient it was a different type of performance like Barcelona and a couple of games like that um, whereas you described the tempo they operate at when they're on a on a going day like, would you expect to see that tomorrow? 100%. That's what they're going to do, right? They will not do anything else. If it doesn't work, Angie's a bit like, um, you know, like Pep, Guardiola, they play their way. And if they get beat and people say, oh, you should have been a bit cuter, you shouldn't have played so many players forward or, you know, whatever. And Pep looks at you as if you're stupid. As if, why, why would we change? This works most of the time. Now and again, it doesn't. You just go on and keep on doing it. That's Postacoglu. There's no way they're sitting back. There's no way they're not going to try and do to Real Madrid what they try and do to everyone. Now, it might not work, but it won't be for lack of trying to play that way. I have a suspicion, and I suspect Postacoglu understands too. If they try and play a different way, in a, a more defensive way, they'll get done. Because mm. I don't know if they'll be that good at that. But if they try and impose their game, and uh, another one of the phrases uh, coming out of Celtic Park was, Someone said to me, yeah, that's the Celtic way, which is, you know, and I remember I was a, a schoolboy for uh, signed for Celtic and a supporter when I was a kid. And there was a phrase we used to have at the time was score an early goal and press on regardless. And that was, didn't matter who you played against, that's how you played. That's how you, that was the attitude. That's back at Celtic Park now. And it will take something incredible to stop that happening. Now, it might be a, an absolute horsing by somebody, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I think before that happens, you're going to just see the same thing. So um, it's, it's definitely worth tuning into that game just to see where they are. Um, and and, and I would, I'm disappointed that Kyogo's not, probably won't be playing. It damaged his shoulder badly. But the fact that they've got really good backup and they made five substitutions, substitutions against Rangers and not one of them made them weaker, not one. And that shows you where they are just now and what he's trying to do. Maybe the, the question mark, would probably remain to some degree with the centre-backs. They're going to be up against a not-a-bad centre-forward. <laughs> so, Carter Vickers and Starfelt. Starfelt, uh, he got injured the weekend and Jens might have to come in. But Carter Vickers was, has been brilliant and improving and reading the game better. And maybe that's another thing at Postacoglu. He's making decent players good players. He's making good players very good players and he's making very good players look like great players just moving them on that bit but a, a lot more questions are going to be asked of that defence and I, I tell you now I don't know the answer but I'm, I am seriously looking forward to finding out and anybody that goes to Celtic Park I mean you've, you remember you used to hear Barcelona players in their great days saying you know I remember Deco talking about it I remember other people talking about it saying 
they loved Celtic Park. They just should, couldn't shut up about it after having been there. So it's, it's going to have an effect. It definitely has an effect. Might be a slightly different uh, job trying to stop Vinicius and Benzema tomorrow night, but exactly, we, exactly. <laughs> I, I will not argue for that for a second. Um, <laughs> but to, to wind it upside down, here's here's an analogy. Then um, again, I'm not saying don't miss goal. I'm not saying they're going to win. But if you watch the Premier League this season and you watch Chelsea when they went to play against Leeds, they were just out fought, weren't they? And mm. uh, I was at the game, and then. Teams going up, you know, it's Liverpool being shocked by Fulham because they were out fought for periods. You know, so your, your Brighton will do that to you. Ch- uh, Fulham will do that to you. Newcastle will do that to you. Against the very top teams, Newcastle get a draw, as do Villa against Man City. If you go and attack these teams with energy and don't sit back scared out of your life, you just never know. You absolutely just never know. And that's, I think that's the whole attitude that, you know, it's time not to be fearful. It's time to, you know, either win or go down in a blaze of glory. And that's that's kind of how I like my football. Well, football here on Off the Ball is with thanks to Sky, proud partner of our women's national football team, of course, out of tomorrow's game against Slovakia, especially. Pat, to go from Celtic to one of your former teams in Chelsea, you just mentioned there. They were the perhaps beneficiary of one of the bad VAR decisions over the weekend where somehow West Ham's late equaliser wasn't given and it was a judge that Mendy was fouled in the build-up to it. We might talk about VAR in a more general sense, but in a way, Chelsea were very lucky to get the three points in that derby at the weekend. Uh, Extremely lucky. I think they were the better team. Um, There was a rotten first half, but they were probably the better team in the second half. So, you know, and chances in play, they probably were slightly the better side. But you're right just that last minute and it was a really interesting thing to watch you know I, I, I don't know about you I think a lot of people myself included rewound that and froze it about 20 times to see what the hell was going on now like, this is the honest truth of it they got it wrong there's no doubt they got it wrong because is there for a simple thing is to get the obvious decisions right when they've been called wrong that wasn't an obvious decision absolutely not now if you slow it down and you look at um Jared Bowen's leg, his left leg, as he as he goes for the ball, he goes to jump over Mendy, and he lets it trail. Let's be honest about it, he lets it trail. We've all done it, and, and he's not trying to hurt Mendy, but he lets it trail. At a push, that's a free kick, but it's not an obvious, serious mistake by the referee. So they got it wrong, but I understand why they made the decision, but they still got it wrong, um, and I felt. Really quite sorry for Moise because these things worked really hard. From a Chelsea's perspective, they're shouting at you. Did anybody remember the exact same position a few weeks ago when Cucurella had his hair pulled? <laughs> and, and, ex- and you're talking shed end, a yard away, and they lost two points out of that because he wasn't sent off the 10 men, they put the corner and scored. So there's a few Chelsea folk out there going, well, wait a minute, you're making a big song and dance about that. What about... And it maybe does, arguably, you know, even itself up. But not for a millisecond am I arguing that West Ham shouldn't have scored. It it should have been a goal. It should have been a draw. And I did feel really sorry for Moisey and for West Ham. 
Away from the VR, how are Chelsea now settling with these new signings, Pat? Because it's been like a, a summer of great change with players who've left, particularly up front within the team and losing two defenders in Rudiger and Christensen on top of that. So naturally, you know, Bowley was going to come in and he had to uh, spend some money to regenerate the squad. But it's almost like unrecognisable compared to the team that won the Champions League at this stage and £280 million has been spent. Uh, what do you make of Chelsea's business and how are those players now settling in early on? Right, A, it's very hard to tell because it's really early. Chelsea had five players, five outside outfield players of the ten that started who weren't available to them last season. So, you know, you Sterling, Cucurella, Gallagher, uh, Fafana and Tulabali. So they didn't play for them last season. So to find yourselves, that's just last season. That's not even Champions League season the year before. So when uh, Thomas Tuchel says this is a transitional time and people are going, A, Transitional. <laughs> he just won the Champions League a year and a bit ago. But it's been a wild time for that football club. You know, the change of ownership, number of players going, complete rejig of the team. Um, and the fact that they are, if you look at the league table just now, where they are actually amazes me. Because I was at the game against Everton. They were not good. They were, I was at the game against Leeds United. They were hopeless. Um, watched the game live that they played against Southampton didn't deserve to win that one either Southampton were the better side so you know that is definitely um, it's, it's it's changing it's adapting but just for the first time I'm beginning to see some joined up thinking it seemed a wee bit scattergun didn't it you know oh he's available we'll buy him you know <laughs> we'll get him he's available but now you look at it you think Fofana really good buy you needed a centre back there or else they had no chance Koulibaly jury out to some degree but he'll, he'll do a, a good job because Thiago Silva's a, a, a beside him um, but when you start looking at you know say if Aubameyang I don't think he'll play every game but if you got Aubameyang up front with Sterling and Kai Havertz off him well that's pretty good that's that's good goals there and that's before you think well if you don't get their two behind a striker you could always put Mason Mount and Gallagher and you think oh actually that's alright there was question marks over Cucurella, but I don't think it should be. I think he's a fabulous player. But what that's done is put a massive amount of pressure on Ben Chilwell. And how does he react to that? Well, you saw on the weekend how he reacted to that. Rhys James has just sent, signed a new six-year contract today. So it's taken a while. And I would say, if you asked me the question two weeks ago, I wasn't putting them top four this season. No chance. And I'm looking at it now thinking, actually... That, that looks quite joined up now that actually looks like a little bit of strength and depth in the right areas and certainly with the players that are ageing a little bit you know Conte is a phenomenal player but he's getting more injured more often Jorginho's maybe a bit slower than he was they had to strengthen and uh, it looks like they've done that pretty well Arsenal still sit top of the table they've suffered their first defeat of the season and in a way, there was something very kind of typical about the way that this game went, where Arsenal had a lot of the ball, they had some very good spells, especially the first 15 minutes of the second half, it was like Arsenal were laying siege to Manchester United, but United picked them off on three counter-attacks effectively, and that was enough to win the game. There was a very kind of old-school feel of United versus Arsenal in the way that the result played out. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's hard, I keep on saying it, everyone. The Premier League this season looks a wee bit different to me than it has done for a few years. You don't really go anywhere and cruise. There's, there's almost nowhere you go and cruise. Everywhere you go, you've got a battle, and that's going to be the same if you're, you know, if you're Man City or your Arsenal going away from home. I think you're going to have to battle for the vast majority of games. So it's still a, a tough gig 
with a little bit of form being shown by shown um, by uh, uh, Manchester United now. Um, I, I like the way they they set up. Again, I've talked on this show all the way through last season to quite a bit of abuse, saying that Ronaldo's an impact player now. He's not your main striker. And of course, I'm getting people shouting at me, going, ah, he's scored all these goals. It's not about that. It's about if you're going to be competitive, you need to be able to close and Harry from the front. And it just doesn't happen when you've got, you know, Bruno and Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo in the team against the very top teams. And they get picked off last season because of it. The way they're using them now, and if Ten Hag can keep on using them this way, that's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. And you just look at the the energy there was around that team, a lot more energy. Now, they're not a high-pressing team yet, nothing like it. But it looks like everybody's working as a unit now. So, yeah, it's well done, Manchester United. And they are a decent team when they do that and everybody works together. Arsenal, I still like them. I still think they're great. I still think they're really good players. And I will hold by still. That if I had to choose between Spurs and Arsenal for top four, I'm still Spurs. Mm. I've been Spurs since the start of the season. I'm still Spurs. Uh, really grown-up management, uh, real intelligence about the way they play. Um, I'm going to see them next week, and I can't wait to see them in the flesh at their own stadium. Um, I, I think with what they have got going forward, and this is with Son not even playing particularly well yet, I, I think they are really special too. I suspect that Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, they could all be fighting for that fourth spot. Tara is an Arsenal fan that boy who's been in contact on 53106 uh, what did Pat think of Arteta's game management yesterday seemed a bit frazzled by the occasion yeah he does get a bit excitable doesn't he it's one of those things you know when managers you know get really excitable and get you know get so involved and you can see all the passion and they win and everybody loves them for it and everyone goes wow that's exactly what we want that's what the fans want and when you lose they say oh he's lost control can he win that one? It's over a period of time. Yes, there was a lot of pressure on that one. The expectations were high. He has, he was a bit frazzled with you know a number of decisions like everybody else is. But I'm I'm okay with that. I think that's fine. I think that level of passion is okay because he's shown that he's grown that into a better team. Over his period in charge, it's taken a while. But he's grown that team to be a better team, a, a better young team, a, a team built in his own image. Um, it'd be harsh... It is slightly harsh to call them Manchester City light, but there, there is a wee bit of that about them. <laughs> but that's maybe not the worst thing you can say about anyone, is it? Um, no, I, I have to say I like Man City. And the other thing is, Odegaard's a brilliant player, right? And Saka with a really good game, and Zinchenko's been a great buy. But Gabriel Jesus, I have to say, he looks he looks a different player. He, he looks Because he's more of the main man now, he's kind of grown. And it's, it's interesting to see that. Same's happened to Raheem Sterling. At Chelsea, take them out and say to them, right, you're basically the main man. Some of them melt and others grow. And Gabriel Jesus, I think he's grown with it. So uh, yeah, I think I think Arsenal fans should be, I, I'm not telling them to be delighted. I know they are. I know they feel good about this team. And okay, so you get the odd defeat uh, and they'll be disappointed and frustrated. But no, they're a good team. They're, and they're great to watch as well. 
uh, we kind of cycle through your ex clubs here when I think of Everton against Liverpool perhaps not the most memorable of uh, Merseyside derbies but plenty of um, ebbs and flows within the game I know you were at the Celtic Rangers game at the same time but um, Liverpool particularly hitting the crossbar a couple of times in the first half Luis Diaz took a strip of paint off the inside of the post on the follow up after the Darwin Nunes chance and then Everton possibly could have had a goal through Conor Cody again it was one of those kind of controversial ones in the weekend but to put a Liverpool perspective on it that's now four games so far Pat to drop points in I know Man City weren't able to go top because of their draw against Aston Villa but how concerning is it for Liverpool the amount of points they've dropped in the first month of the season well they'd be concerned if it's comparing themselves with the, you know, the points they got previous seasons yeah but you know I was at the 9-0 game so I, I might be slightly <laughs> biased <laughs> since I've seen them play quite well that day um, but no there's so much quality there the one thing that I Laurie, two, two things about Liverpool and it's not being negative because we all know all the positives right we all know the great players they've got we all know that they will score a lot of goals I had a question mark of creation from the midfield um, whether they'll get so many goals from the fullback areas the geniuses up front were great you know but you know people breaking from midfield and scoring or being ultra creative no Thiago fine but was it enough they're adding that now you know Harvey Elliott's he's been fabulous I mean, he got taken off in that 9-0 game at half time and he was definitely the best player in the park De- definitely the best player in the park he's very very special and I, I definitely think they've, they knew, know what they needed to add there so that's taken a wee bit of time there's a couple of technical things that have changed um, with Liverpool which is kind of not that easy to see one, one particular one I've noticed early on which they need to figure out Andy Robertson used to get a hell of a lot of the ball on that left-hand side. Always free, left-hand side, slewing all these balls in all day long and creating lots of goals, right? Not been as many lately. Now, is that Andy Robertson, a lesser player? Or is that the fact that Sadio Mane's gone? And he used to take that position and drive out of it and leave this enormous gap because people were scared of him and ran with him. They've got a different type of player out left-hand side now most days. And it's kind of stifling that wee bit of their game. So it's a weird thing. It's they put a great set of players that are attack-minded in the left-hand side, but it's also cut off some of the space for Andy again. So they, I'm suspecting Jurgen knows about that and he'll be working on it. So I th- I'm not not worried long-term for Liverpool. They'll be fine with that. The question is, and it's I hate I hate saying it, but I'm going to have to. Um, it's been about a year now where you're looking at. Van Dijk and you're thinking 10 out of 10 is not a 10 out of 10 anymore is it? A lot of games it's, it's, it's dropping a wee bit It's almost um, mistakes some non-characteristic I think back to earlier on the season where he had a couple of uh, tackles that he dived into what, not what we associate well, with Van Dijk where usually he'll shepherd a player or he looks so in command But you kind of wonder yeah. as well like the other players around him like he probably had that air of invincibility and other players will they're possibly feeling that too. Is Gomez I mean? the issue? I wonder. But like, I, I think it's a technical one, right? So I, I haven't played against lots of very, very, very good defenders. You know, and I often talk about McGrath. Paul McGrath was amazing. You can never get by him, and all these players of my time. But some more modern players as well. Rio Ferdinand is a great example of it. You, they never seem to get beat. They're always. Then there comes a time where something happens. They start getting square. Instead of shadowing and chasing and manoeuvring, they get square onto the ball and try and stick a leg out. And you think, oh, that's uncharacteristic. Why are you doing that? 
and there's often a reason for it. <laughs> and it's, you've lost a wee yard of pace, you know, and I, I don't know if that's the case with Van Dijk yet, but I've seen it now three or four times, a couple of times this season already, where he's got himself square and he's given away fouls and free kicks in dangerous areas where you should, he shouldn't, he just, no, it shouldn't. He never done that. He never, ever, ever done that. I've watched him all the way from his Celtic days and he never put himself in a square position where if you're square and somebody puts the ball by you, it doesn't matter how quick you are, you're not getting by back if they've got a run on you. And he never positioned himself. And often players do that when they think, maybe I won't get there. So they, they make this kind of last ditch thing. And Van Dijk, I've seen him do it time and time again, and he's great at it and he gets away with it. But see, when he doesn't, it looks bad. And that's what's happening a couple of times just now. Now, get it in, in perspective. He's not a bad player. He's still brilliant. And he's still a great player. But trust me, Premier League teams seeing that will look at it and think, right, OK, let's see if we can think, get him square again and see if he does that again. So that's, that's a minor concern. The other concern is you have a look at um, Liverpool. It's a different centre-back beside him every week, isn't it? Hmm. Every single week, it's a different guy standing beside him. That, that doesn't particularly help you either. So I, I, t- I take, absolutely take your, your point, Dan. Um, it, it can be those around you as well. Um, but that's something maybe just to keep an eye out uh, as the season goes on. Uh, he hasn't tested that often because they have so much of the ball. But if you get square with somebody like Zaha, you know, Wilfred Zaha or somebody of that skill, it doesn't matter how good you are, you'll get, you'll get done. Duck for cover in the YouTube comments, but I think he qualified it well at the end of that conversation around. Yeah, I know, but I'm Liverpool fans are always going to have a dig at me. I'm used to it. And yeah. going, carry on, guys. Thick skin. And, and, Don't worry about it. Pat, great stuff as always. Pleasure. Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. Welcome back to the Football Show. We've been looking forward to the Champions League and particularly Celtic against Real Madrid, which is tomorrow night. But we've got the Conference League coming up, Dan, as well uh, for Shamrock Rovers uh, into group stage football again in Europe. And they're going in on the back of a defeat in a Dublin derby from last Friday night. Yeah, they were um, very flat on on Friday against Bowes. Um, I think Stephen Brady said afterwards it was... I think you sort of said it was as bad as they played all season in terms of their performance, and yeah, it was. It was a bit sort of subdued, and uh, like you know, this is one of these things that you'd say it to uh, the people involved themselves, and they would deny it. But you kind of wonder: is it like they've had a really busy draining run of Thursdays? They've achieved a sort of an element of a European target. The win against Dundalk in the league sort of gave them a little bit of a cushion at the top. Um, so they could sort of enter Europe and have a proper go at it and I think maybe they just lost you couldn't, couldn't blame anyone in the club for having half an eye on your garden coming to Tallaght this week yeah and like it's it's not something that they <laughs> you would never you know, admit to that it's but. Not something, but it's not something that they, they ease off in any way I think just like I always think it's a bit like that Ferencvaros game I was over there that it didn't like mean everything to them when you lose that certain percent or that sense of focus or just s- something, you know. And I'd, I'd be pretty sure on Thursday, I mean, you have players in that Shamrock Rovers group who are, who've spoken about how like group stage football is the one box they wanted to tick in their careers, the one thing they wanted to do more than anything. And that's coming. So n- now is not the time to, to suddenly find yourself injured or something. And I, I don't know, like it's... Like the, the the derby is sort of I mean the Bowes Rovers derby is such a it's a great game, um, but it was actually quite subdued for a fair bit and there was a restricted allocation of away fans. Normally there's a sort of 
the, the full behind one goal is taken over but Bowes only gave half the allocation away because of some instances, incidents that had happened previously did that contribute to this sort of atmosphere and it just lacking that sort of intensity of a typical game I, I don't know only the Rose Rovers players can, can tell you that probably themselves at a later date maybe but for whatever reason they were poor um, but I wouldn't imagine it bear any relation to their performance on Thursday I'd, I'd imagine with a full tally on Thursday you will see a different team and a different performance they've been good at home in Europe this year as well yeah and they won every game at home and I know okay the French Farris won I mean, they're like you're playing a team who was it was four nil uh, up from the first leg, so um, they might have been even a bit bemused by Rovers sort of celebrating the late winner. But you know, the Ludogorets game they were good, uh, the Hibernians game, the Shoopy game actually per in the second half. But in all of the games. Um, the, the, the first three in particular, they started in the first half very well and very strongly. And um, I sort of wonder as well too, and I could be completely wrong uh, about this, but I think there's so many games in Europe this year, Rovers have have played more without the ball. They've been actually quite effective without the ball against Dundalk in the league. They did a job on them, like with sort of 30-something percent possession. I kind of wonder, like, is, is it part of a sort of adapting their style as a team that they like they, they dominate the ball a lot at home in their domestic games? They have done in recent years, but in reality, the higher up the ladder you go in Europe, you, you need to be better when you counter. You need to be better at, at, against teams who may have more of the ball than you. And I kind of wonder, is this all part of um, they're, they're trying different things or looking at different sort of ways of approaching Europe that might that might work for them so that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing from, from the game on Thursday night will will it be a situation where almost similar to that Dundalk game at home where they sort of will Jurgen have a lot of the ball and it's Rovers then looking to, to to strike clinically that's 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 what that's probably part of the intrigue of it I'm trying to get the title 100% right in this I guess joint caretaker manager Derek Pender would be the best title mm, use yeah like I, I think they're calling him first team coach at yeah. the moment but he yeah joint caretaker yeah he, I was watching his interview with Rory O'Connor after the game yeah. on the, the LOI TV stream and he was saying it was almost a return to Bo's traditional way of playing he said they played in the Bo's style did you feel that watching the game um, yeah like I mean the 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 first half was there wasn't a huge amount going on in the game I have to admit but the second half there's no doubt that like Bowes played with a lot more aggression in their play a lot more intensity in their play <clears throat> and I, I don't know I mean I'm not sure what the traditional Bowes style is I mean you know they've had different managers at different times and, and different ways of doing things I suppose though the, like Keith Long's era will still be remembered as a as a good one, and I think in, they had actually a very strong record against Rovers. I mean, there was a there was a long run there, pardon the pun, where like Rovers were, had struggled to get a win against them. Ten games uh, unbeaten, I think. Yeah, there was, the the, yeah, it was it was certainly a big sequence, mm. and certainly in those games there was a sense that like uh, Bows were hard to play against, really like difficult to play against, and you know, they sort of strong and combative in certain areas, but then it. Like, directness but how they broke and Liam Burt their Scottish um, player who interestingly played for both Celtic and Rangers when he was in Scotland and they, they played him as a number 10 but he's very quick and they just sort of they in the second half there was a there was a nice balance of sort of physicality but then also that option for Burt who like just broke direct through the middle and also then scored a, a superb goal which was slightly different it was a, a corner kick that broke down but um, yeah I, 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 maybe there, there's a sense that, that this year they've become a little bit easier to play against and possibly have also been a little bit brittle probably mentally in terms of their record for games where they led and 
lost the lead um, sort of off the charts I think at one point they were top of the 60 minute league table if there, if, if there was such a thing so um, yeah there was a more purpose about how they played but I, I think as well I'm sure like Pender and Derek Pender and Trevor Crawley and, and, and probably maybe Crawley in particular he's been around the beat for long enough I think it was a good game for him to get into the Rovers game you have to bounce but the real thing is consistently over a period of time like what they think they're going to Derry this week again like it's you're away it's not it's not Rovers I think you want to see more before you can declare a corner turn I think they have to be getting that message out to players too I think Tomorrow night then Slovakia for the Republic of Ireland women's team a lot of nervousness I thought you were in the stands watching yeah. as a fan I was watching on TV and oh I thought that first half hour especially was really nervy and maybe that was just part of the occasion I'm not sure if um, Rusha Liljohn was 100% fit in the middle of midfield either it seemed to improve when they got more legs into yeah. midfield in the second half um, will they play with a little bit more freedom tomorrow in Slovakia given that the job is already half done and three quarters done almost yeah you would think so like there is always that danger like I mean wasn't the, the, the first Slovakia game came off like an exhilarating result and then it's sort of hard to <sighs> You always like you always have this thing in your head that Irish teams are better underdogs, you know, and that's always sort of it's part of the the, the the perception. But I yeah, I wonder, like I think you might be a little bit fearful of this game if the if the sort of playoff was at stake with it. Like it's made for a banana skin, like as I think as mentioned earlier, it sounds like there's gonna be a terrible crowd there. So you can talk about it being a big game, but it's a bit like closed doors football in some ways. You go there and you know, you build up a game and then you get to the event and it's very okay. Like this is the one where sometimes it gets away from teams and, and I think the Ireland have a little bit of experience at that even with sort of Ukraine and, and sort of these type of events. So but I, I, in a way, I kind of wonder: could this go the other way? That the pressure is actually off, like the big pressure is off, um, so they might be able to approach it with a bit more freedom and just get the job done. Um, because this isn't everything; it's it's great an opportunity to to skip around to the playoffs, and there's an incentive there. But it's not quite that that sort of. Uh, Tense, your campaign rests on this it's thing. It's not which, the Ukraine away game, which he always felt was do or die. Yeah, and it was a, it was a bottle job, really. Like you know, and and uh, like that's that's you can only describe it that way. Like it just it just got away from them completely uh, when it shouldn't have. But that's like that seems to be the thing that's fueling their resurgence this time round. So you have to trust that like they they have actually learned from. It. And as I said, they were nervy in the the first half. I actually thought. They managed the second half reasonably well, like particularly when they were ahead. I didn't. There was never any sense that they were being battered or really like under the cosh. Or yeah, they invited a small bit of pressure at times, and maybe Finland weren't able to capitalise. But I don't know. Like they're quite, uh, they're quite experienced in some ways. And, and Look, they've, of, they've been to Sweden, know. a really good team, and got a result. Yeah. They've been to Finland, and got a result in this campaign as well. There's no reason to think if they're not switched on. I, I appreciate the injuries aren't ideal with some key players who are missing, but at the same time. They've got, I think, every chance of going to win in there. Yeah, no, I think so. I like, I, I just think, yeah, I think it's all it's all weighted towards it being a good result tomorrow, in my opinion. But then, then you wait to see. Like, and the playoff is going to be a different type of cha- challenge completely. But I think, as part of the evolution, to probably go over and almost show like a little bit of a dominance and authority, it's probably the next thing they need to do and back it up. But. Yeah, it's it's a weird one for them, I'm sure, because they probably were building up for this trip to mean something different. Mm-hmm. So there's always a slight danger. Talk about the Rovers thing and and the the Bowes situation. Like it's still a big game, but what happens maybe if you lose that ten percent too, when it's not like your whole life depends on this.
maybe maybe you become vulnerable but I think I think maybe they should get it done Well look if they're going to skip through to the second round of the playoffs it's a case of just winning and then we'll work out the other results because uh, there are other games simultaneously that are being played tomorrow they will decide who gets the higher seeding to be able to go into the second round of the playoffs That's our lot on the uh, football show for tonight just to remind you that coming up on OTBAM from half past seven in the morning we're going to have more Slovakia versus Ireland preview including the former Ireland boss Sue Ronan Ashling's going to be live from Bratislava looking forward to the game as well uh, Jenny Claffey will be talking about the latest from the US Open and no doubt uh, talking about Serena Williams uh, probable retirement I will say at the weekend and Matt Williams will be with us to talk about the rugby championship which is beautifully poised as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show from 5pm tomorrow live commentary of Slovakia versus Ireland always thanks to Sky proud partner and supporter of the women's national football team out believe together and show your support as Ireland look to make history and reach their first ever World Cup then back on News Talk from 7pm you can switch from OTB Sports Radio to News Talk for Off the Ball Joe Malloy will be back in the hot seat we've got Brian O'Driscoll also in studio plenty more besides including the Champions League that's us that's it even from us for now Tom Dunn is up next good night